see more innovation in packaging and processing at Pack Expo International than anywhere else in the world. It's the show that defines where the industry is headed, with the solutions that define where your business can go. Discover cutting-edge packaging technology, processing equipment, new materials, sustainable solutions, supply chain resources, and much, much more. You'll walk away with innovative solutions to challenges big and small. Register at PackExpoInternational.com. You're listening to Unpacked with PMMI, where we share the latest packaging and processing industry insights, research, and innovations to help you advance your business. Hi, my name is Sean Riley, and welcome to a little change of pace here in the Unpacked with PMMI universe. Today, you will hear the first of an ongoing new series of podcasts where Unpacked teams up with PMMI Media Group to add an audio option to the tremendous written and video content its award-winning publications provide. On this episode of Unpacked with OEM Magazine, OEM Editor-in-Chief Stephanie Neal sits down with Bumblebee Seafood President and CEO Jan Tharp. As a well-seasoned veteran of over 20 years, Stephanie has a wealth of knowledge of the packaging, processing, and automation industries she writes and reports about daily. Longtime Unpacked fans probably remember some of my previous discussions with Stephanie sitting on the other side in the guest chair. Her compelling interview with Jan from Pack Expo Connects was one of the highlights of the daily Jumpstart program. It dove into her role as a leader through an extremely chaotic time at Bumblebee. Not only does Jan discuss leadership strategies that she used to resurrect the Bumblebee seafood brand, but she also provides insight on the current state of the seafood industry and global food supply chain. A woman who wears many leadership hats, Jan is also the current co-chair of PMMI's Packaging and Processing Women's Leadership Network. Together with Stephanie, they tackle the ways women leaders differ from their male counterparts during times of crisis affirming a recent report from the Harvard Business Review that the empathetic point of view offered by women in leadership in fact makes them better leaders in chaos, chaos not unlike the current pandemic-centric business climate. Let's eavesdrop on a great conversation between two industry experts tackling huge and important issues that will not only teach you a thing or two, but offers ways we could all be better at what we do. Well, thank you, Jan, for joining us again today. And I say again because we had a conversation a few months back at PAC Expo Connects Jumpstart. And uh, we talked a lot about the brand and sustainability and packaging and the overall theme of leading through crisis. So I wanted to continue that conversation today with you. And I'm kind of looking at some research that just came up, which was really interesting. Back in December, the Harvard Business Review published an article that says women are better leaders than men during a crisis. That article talks about women's ability to be more effective through higher levels of engagement. So Jan, thinking about your own journey leading the company through a corporate scandal and now COVID, what leadership skills have you leaned on to engage your team? And have you been able to measure the results of what you've implemented? So thanks. That's a, a great question. And I think when you look back over our, our 28 months and you consider everything that this business has been through in, in just a 28-month period, to your point, we've gone through a corporate scandal. We've gone through a bankruptcy. 
we'd sold the company. And then when we sold the company, we entered into COVID. So uh, when I look at it, I would say in, in some ways, COVID has been maybe less traumatizing to the business than, than some of those other earlier issues, because at least with COVID, everyone on the planet was dealing with the, the ramifications of that. And our, our earlier issues were really specific to our business and, and our team, but there still were similarities. And so I'll talk through those and then talk about how we dealt with them. But the issues of the past, we we certainly had financial and emotional concerns that we had to deal with uh, caused by the scandal and the bankruptcy. And, and COVID brought those same concerns, the the financial concerns and the emotional concerns, but this time it it layered on health concerns. So you have three things that you're dealing with. And and I think that the tools and the skills that we developed and, and all of the things that helped us through those earlier issues. Uh, but keep in mind, those those issues were only 28 months ago. We, we call those our, our choppy waters. They were the same tools that we used to manage through COVID. And, and it really came down to uh, heightened communication mm-hmm. and transparency, I think being very open with our team members as to what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then finally, balancing the the realism with optimism. So not trying to hide the fact that a situation was difficult, being pretty open about it, but being optimistic about about where we're headed. Do you think, I mean, and I, I don't want to, you know, continue to go back to this study that said that women are better leaders than men during crisis, but I mean, they did come out with some findings that um, women expressed more awareness of fears and concern for well-being and confidence in their plans. Do you feel like you implemented a communication strategy within the organization that not only helped through the transition of, you know, a company crisis, but also COVID? Yeah, absolutely. And and I would say, and I think I've said this before, I think leadership is a skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a muscle. It's something that you develop over time. I don't know that necessarily it's gender specific. I think it's a skill that anyone can have if they want it and they want to spend time developing it. I, I will also say though that that women tend to be a little more empathetic and and perhaps, and this isn't a, a broad brush statement, but perhaps their listening skills may be better. And, and so to your point, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. When we were in any one of the situations that we were in, one of the leadership skills that you know I, I will say I continue to develop because it's something that we're, we're learning every day is that that listening skill listening to our team members what's on their mind where are their concerns how do we address those concerns uh, because everybody's are going to be different depending on where they sit in the organization and I think one of the ways we've been able to do that was just starting down at the the foundational level of reinforcing our values uh, we developed our, our values a, a couple years ago and and continue Continuing to live those values and talk about those values ground us in something that is common to everyone. And then we ladder up from there and talk about, you know, why is it that we do what we do? And that's our purpose. And if you can ground people in those two things, first values, how are you going to work together? Uh, What are the guiding principles that are going to keep you together? And you can develop that trust 
amongst your your team members. And then what are you shooting for? You know, what's your North Star? Or in our case, in the seafood industry, we call it our, our lighthouse. And, and that becomes your, your strategy and, and your purpose. And if you can continue to show the team how what they're doing every single day is getting us one step closer to you know, living our purpose, then that makes all the difference in the world. And, and it sounds simple stuff, but at the end of the day, really communicating and having that feedback is what gets you through any kind of crisis or, you know, uh, business challenge. Mm-hmm. And when I had asked you how you've been able to kind of measure what you've implemented, I can point to to two things right off the bat. The Bumblebee won top workplaces in San Diego for large company from the Union Tribune. And, you know, that's something to that a couple of years ago, I mean, I'm not quite sure where you were a couple. I I know where the company was five to seven years ago when you were in charge um, and you had to go through all of this maneuvering. I mean, did it ever occur to you that you'd be winning top workplaces in San Diego for a large company? Yeah, that was a, a special award for the team. And, and I will tell you, I am so proud of our entire team because it really was a reflection of the business and, and the dedication and the camaraderie that the team had working through our issues and coming out on the other side extremely successful. So uh, that one is, it's really meaningful to me because again, I think it's a reflection of just the immense amount of talent and dedication on the team. Well, it, I think it should also be meaningful to you that uh, you won CEO of the year in 2020 from the San Diego Business Journal for a large private company. So congratulations on that too. Thank you, Stephanie. I appreciate that. So let's move on to um, the seafood industry in general. How has the pandemic impacted the general industry? In general, I, I would say it's been positive and it's been positive for the industry as a whole. And, and what I would also say is there there's a lot of fertile ground for sustained growth growth. And the reason I say that is if you look at some of the trends that that we're seeing, the the macro consumer trends and, and how they relate back to our industry, I think you'll see why I'm I'm optimistic. You know, the first one being eating at home. I, I don't think that's going away. I think that's certainly good for retail grocery. It's not so good for, for food service, but I think that we are going to be eating more at home for the foreseeable future. So the the entire country is separated with respect to what's open, what's not open. But I think as a general norm, people are eating more at home. Again, great for retail grocery and and ultimately great for seafood. If you look at the economy, I think the economic conditions in the U.S., in my opinion, are going to push families into two extremes, one being uh, wealth generation. There are certainly winners and losers to any kind of crisis, and and we are seeing certain people netting out being winners in in the overall global pandemic. There's also losers, and, and there's people that are going to be pushed into further economic insecurity uh, on the other side. And a a challenged economy generally is good for people who are operating in center store grocery. So I I see that as a second positive for center store grocery, ourselves and others included. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you've got e-commerce. E-commerce is another one. It's not going away. It's going to continue to grow. And, and whether you're buying your products through your local retailer on their website or Amazon or any of the abilities to do curbside pickup, home delivery, it doesn't matter. It is all going to continue to grow. And you know, I, stuff. I look at my own family. My mother is 80 years old. She's not very computer literate and she is ordering, you know, from Costco and has having home delivery. So I have to believe that if an 80 year old that I think still has a flip phone can order and and is getting used to having product delivered to her house, that clearly is not going to go away. And I think that is a good thing. It's speeding up something that had already started. If if you look at it from our perspective, uh, you know, digital is is actually good. It gives us an opportunity to connect with our consumer at a, a much deeper level than we can if a consumer is walking down center store grocery and they're spending two seconds looking at shelf-stable seafood and and deciding what they're going to buy. So the engagement actually with e-commerce utilized correctly could be significantly better. Mm -hmm. I I mentioned, you know, people spending less time in the grocery stores. That's another trend. The store trips are down. People are not going to the store as often. They're buying more. So their basket size is higher, but their trips are are reduced. And so that's good for, you know, maybe larger formats. That's good for multi-packs, ready-to-eat items, maybe some value-added items, but, um, you know, figuring out what products fit now in this changing retail landscape becomes important. And then, you know, finally for for our industry, protein. Protein was on trend before the pandemic. It's still growing. And I think that we have a a pretty democratic product. So whether you're looking to lose weight, build muscle, feed your family, or improve your health, all of our our products meet those needs. And, and so as I look at those macro trends and how they relate back to the seafood sector, uh, I'm extremely optimistic about our industry growth. Mm-hmm. We're seeing it in the numbers. I mean, our, our sector is up uh, about 17% versus 2019. Um, so we had that hoarding issue in March and April. It subsided a bit, but in general, the industry's up in shelf stable about 17% and frozen seafoods up about 30, 35%. So mm-hmm. Um, all positive signs for the industry. So the industry in general is up, but you still have to capture your market share. Um, how do you, you know, the image of Bumblebee has changed over the last year or so. You've, you've had this huge um, branding and marketing campaign. How do you make Bumblebee seafood the tuna of choice when somebody is, you know, walking down the grocery aisle or clicking on e-commerce? It's a, that's a great question. It's essentially, you know, how do you decommoditize something that that could be viewed as a commodity. And and so the question is really, what is it? What's your reason for being? What is it that Bumblebee has that that others don't have? And we are typically, and if you look at our our shelf-stable products, I mean, where we excel is in albacore. So it's a a premium product. We've looked at the consumer trends. And as you may have noticed on the shelf, we've changed our packaging, trying to be a little bit more relevant to today's shopper. Convenience is is key. I mean, you're not seeing right now during COVID as much on the go necessarily, um, but you are seeing people looking for convenience. Mm-hmm. And so that whole convenience sector continues to grow, whether you're talking about a pouch or ready to eat or 
what we call value added and, and value added just means that there's been flavor or some enhancement to our products already put in there. So we're not relying on the consumer to do that. So instead of selling an ingredient, let's say of a, a can of tuna, we've actually added flavors to it so it can be a, a meal. And so as we listen to our consumer, which we're doing a lot more of, again, that's manifesting itself in the products that we are putting out into the marketplace, hoping to resonate with the consumer bring in some of the younger consumers, reestablish relevance, as I mentioned, in a category that has so much going. Uh, the, the benefits of, of seafood as a protein are, are just so significant. And it's a matter of getting those benefits in front of the consumer. And, and quite honestly, if we can raise the seafood sector and the awareness of the seafood sector, I also believe that a rising tide floats all boats. Mm-hmm. So for us, you know, it is we want people to think about seafood a heck of a lot more than they have in the past. And if they can do that, that's going to help our brand. And, you know, when we, we talk about thinking about seafood differently, one of the things that Bumblebee has done in the last years, we've partnered with a plant-based seafood company by the name of Good Catch. You know, chefs doing these culinary creations, fantastic products of seafood, but made with plants instead of wild-caught species. And uh, we were the first ones to enter into a distribution agreement with a plant-based seafood company. And again, I look at that as very complementary and, and a demonstration that we are thinking about the category differently and meeting the diverse consumer needs. Uh, so for me, it's not a competitive product that we're bringing into the market. It's a complementary product that's coming into the market that gives consumers choices. Mm -hmm. And it, it may bring consumers into the overall market that would have not come otherwise. And, you know, when we start talking about the millennials and Gen Z and, and Gen X and, and the generations that are really not as uh, shelf-stable seafood forward, um, I think having this type of innovation and bringing them in through this could certainly be a gateway to getting them to explore other seafood options because, you know, we're not out there trying to market products or develop products for uh, vegans necessarily. It is these are products for flexitarians, people who, who want to experiment with their food and try new options. So I think with respect to your first question of what are we doing as far as Bumblebee to bring consumers in, we're trying to give them choice. We're trying to listen to them and, and reflect back what we hear in the product offerings that we are putting on shelf. Mm -hmm. So as you add more options into the category and are appealing to different types of consumers, let's also think back about what's going on with the organization and just what happened in 2020. Were there some lessons learned, Jan, that will influence the way the company conducts business in the future based on what happened in the most recent past year? Yeah, Steph, I think that every business on the planet is probably doing a bit of self-reflection in early 2021 on, on what happened in, in 2020. And speaking for our industry, you know, we have a very global industry. I would say that we are extremely adept at, at managing episodic supply chain interruptions. But uh, this one was very different because it was the entire globe at 
the same time. And, and so it challenged everybody to keep up with demand. And so when you talk about what are we going to do differently, I think the the word flexibility certainly comes to mind right away, you know, flexibility and operations. How do you ramp up and ramp down? You, you need to be able to do both almost like an accordion. Uh, we would have been looked at like we were crazy if in 2018 or before the pandemic in 19, we said, oh, well, you know, let's Let's put in another line, even though we don't have sales for that line. You know, people just generally don't do that. But with the influx of demand, we found ourselves having to make production changes, meaning, you know, it was whichever products could run the fastest and most efficient are the ones that we actually focused on. And some of the smaller ones where we were cutting in and out of production, we put those to the side until we could get our inventory back up to where it needed to be. Labor. Labor was an issue in manufacturing well before the pandemic, and the pandemic just made it even worse. Even though COVID has displaced all these service industry workers, you know, and and created uh, on the opposite side, on the manufacturing side, this tremendous need for labor, we still are experiencing labor shortages and and trying to fill uh, voids because of the impacts of COVID. So we've had to to rethink that. I, I think obviously being in seafood, we do understand that the world is interconnected, but, you know, we keep seeing examples of it. So you look at what's going on in logistics today, specifically ocean freight. I mean, ocean freight's up over 200%. And, and it's because it is a global industry and, and everyone is fighting for containers as consumers look for more products versus services. So with everything shut down, people are buying more goods. That's creating a huge demand on containers and ocean freight. And that's stuff that is 200% increase in rate with declining service levels. So there's no guarantee that you're actually going to get your products. Right. So it is something that obviously we've got to work through. The industry has to work through. Uh, risk mitigation becomes huge in, in areas that people were sole sourced, whether that was packaging or, or raw material. I think people are reconsidering that whole model of sole sourced uh, products just to, to help with risk mitigation. We're looking at one of the more unique things, and, and I would say a positive of COVID uh, as we reflect back is we have onboarded over 20 individuals in the last year during COVID. Mm-hmm. And stuff, what's different now is these individuals are not necessarily based in San Diego where we are headquartered. So we have been able to break down the barriers of physical location. We're talking right now, you could be in Spain, I can be in Canada. You know, it doesn't really matter. You can be anywhere as long as you've got a computer and access to data. And so we have found that from an HR perspective, we have been able to attract talent that isn't San Diego based and almost seamlessly move them into our organization because we're essentially virtual. So that's been something that we've learned as a business. And it's actually, I think, a a positive. Yeah, I actually just um, noticed that this month, you guys hired a senior VP of global corporate responsibility. So that kind of moves in the direction of you talking about, you know, you have to be a global business, you have to be virtual, you have to be able to pivot and do different things. I mean, when you talked about onboarding these different people, is this 
this an example of what you're talking about, having um, this global responsibility? And what is that role, global corporate responsibilities that go into your sustainability play? Yeah, we, we have our three pillars, our strategic pillars of people, product, and planet. And, and so this role falls under planet and sustainability and social impact. So on the sustainability side, we've got the fisheries and ensuring that our, our fisheries are managed with science. So that certainly is part of it. Uh, the second part is our commitment to fighting for the health of the oceans, which has to do with sustainability as well as ocean plastics and other you know, climate change, anything that impacts this, this resource that is fundamental to our business. And there's also a people element in, in our planet pillar um, with the communities in which we use to conduct our business. So all the people who rely on our supply chain for their livelihood falls under that and people. And the idea is to give back in those communities and, and be a presence in those communities. So we have, uh, we're in the process of onboarding additional talent in that planet pillar. And as you mentioned, what's great about that is, you know, not everybody wants to move to San Diego. It's a beautiful place, but not everybody wants to move here. They've got family commitments. And I think we're seeing uh, a lot more of that life balance through COVID. Uh, there's certainly nothing more important than than our families and loved ones. And if people can support our business and, and they want to do that from Columbus, Ohio, or they want to do that from Miami, Florida, and it works, then, then we're grateful to have their talent and it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about partnerships, in particular machine builders. And we don't have to talk specifics, but if you, if you look at the big picture, what can OEMs do to help companies like yourself or Bumblebee in the future? Is there, are there things that they can start thinking about and implementing? Yeah, I think, you know, as I look at the, the OEMs and, and you look at some of the changes that are going on in the food sector right now, I think the OEMs are sitting in a great spot for growth. Again, you look at some of the trends that we talked about earlier, uh, they're going to impact everybody in this category. I mentioned grocery. Well, grocery is going to change forever in my mind. We aren't going back to pre-COVID situations where you've got like self-service salad bars and olive bars and, and people grabbing food in a, in a community way. That, that to me is gone. So you need more pre-packaged goods. We talked earlier about e-commerce and, and e-commerce is going to continue to grow. Uh, labor is going to continue to be a challenge, both in funding labor and availability. And, and I think lastly, food safety is going to be on the top of consumers' minds for a long, long time. And so what does that mean to OEMs and food processors? It, it means packaging and it means different packaging formats. And, and everybody is looking at how do we get our products into different formats that will be more useful for e-commerce. That is, you know, how do you pre-package something without it being a sustainability nightmare? How do you labor? You know, uh, how how does automation come in to the workforce in a, an affordable way so that we can reduce our reliance on on labor? Keeping in mind, you know, some parameters around physical distancing and so forth. How does that change the way um, equipment is is built? And you know, finally, food safety and what changes will we see coming down the pike in in food safety? 
All of those packaging changes have ramifications and needs that will be put on the OEMs as as we move forward. And you know, I think it's fantastic for them. You know, as as far as working with industry to find ways to to meet these needs. And you know, in a perfect world, we would be able to reduce the lead time. You know, it's still I lead times are lead times sometimes were challenging before COVID. <clears throat> now I'm sure OEMs are having the exact same issues we are with with raw material and labor flexibility in in design i mean it is the time it takes you to figure out what package you want go out and do a bid get the the equipment in do your factory acceptance test in in today's world stuff you could have marketing come back and say oh yeah that was last month's design now we want something totally different so how, how do you adjust your manufacturing that takes a long time to the changing needs that are in in marketing. Yeah, that's a tough problem to solve. Um, so it's good to talk about it with the machine builders and have these open conversations. It's also a good segue into my last question when we were talking about packaging. And we were also talking about a lot of awards that Bumblebee has won. And in fact, you guys are like the shit's Creek of the tuna business with all these Um, But this last one that I was looking at was the Natural Organic Sustainable and Healthy Products, NOSH, Best of Awards in the category of new packaging. What does this packaging award say about the direction of Bumblebee? Uh, cover that in two ways. First of all, the, I, I can't let the opportunity go to say, you know, obviously we're winning these awards because we have a fantastic team. Um, so I, I could not ever say enough about the talent that we've got around the Bumblebee company. It's just so impressive and I'm honored to be able to lead them. The uh, award from NOSH and the direction of Bumblebee, I, I think that ties into the fact that we have a very bright future ahead of us. And we talked earlier about our three strategic pillars of people, product, and and planet. And I think if we focus in on the product side, uh, listening to the consumer, we talked a little bit about that, making sure that our our products are resonating with them, hitting on that protein trend, elevating and amplifying protein as a a snack, a meal, a convenience occasion. Uh, There's just, there's so much there. And, And then I'd say lastly, celebrating the ocean. And I don't know that we do enough of that. I mean, the ocean is just such a magnificent resource and you only have one of them. So it's a matter of how do you protect it and and highlight it and nurture the ocean and celebrate all that comes from it. And I think that's where we got such a unique opportunity at Bumblebee. We've been historically for 120 years focused in on tuna and tuna is a fantastic protein. But when you think of the diversity in, in the ocean and all all of the food products that could come out of the ocean. Uh, to me, that's just a just a huge opportunity in innovation to help consumers around the world uh, really explore the delicacies and and treasures that that could come out of the ocean in in innovation and food products. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I appreciate you saying that because it's important. And I think you know, let's it goes back to the original conversation we were having about leadership. And I think with leadership, you have to think differently. And you have definitely done that in your role, Jan. I just thank you so much for always sharing your time with us and and talking about these important issues. I hope that we can continue the conversation throughout 2021. Thanks, Steph. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Didn't I tell you that would be great? Keep this between you and I. 
but they painted such a great picture of what leadership is and positive company culture that I might have to see if Bumblebee is hiring podcasters. For more, visit oemmagazine.org for videos of their Pack Expo Connects conversation, as well as some stories Stephanie wrote about Bumblebee and many other topics. Please rate, review, and subscribe. To do that, go to the iTunes podcast or Spotify app on your phone and search for Unpacked with PMMI.